Okay, ready to go. Hello, welcome to Plant Pals, my podcast where I talk to my pals about plants. I'm your host, Mike, and my guest this week is Matthew Jeffrey, a conservationist from Kew Gardens over in Britain. Done in one, let's go! Editor's note, at some point in this episode, he says that there's a new species of water lily from Chile, but it's called Victoria Boliviana. He made a point to mention that after the fact. So he's right. Hop off his jock. Yeah, I'm I'm Matthew Jeffrey, and I work for the Millennium Seed Bank, which is part of Kew Gardens. um, And it's based in their garden in Sussex called Wakehurst, so south of London. Um, and it is the largest seed bank in the world. I think there's about 2.5 billion seeds Jesus. there now. Yeah, um, it's been going since the millennium, obviously. Um, but yeah, I've only been working there for uh, nine, ten months. And before that, I was working at, as a horticulturist in the rock garden alpine department at Kew. So, yes, yeah, a bit of a bit of a life change. But yeah, studied studied biology undergraduate um, at Imperial College in London, um, and then went on to work in horticulture for a year at the Chelsea Physic Garden, which is like one of the oldest botanic gardens in the UK, um, but really really small, right in central central London. So I was there for about a year, and then after that I did a master's degree in plant and fungal taxonomy and that was with Kew Gardens and so then transitioned from that into working in horticulture there after that so yeah quite a mixed yeah background that's awesome so where did you grow up north london yeah. <laughs> How did you get into like outdoorsy stuff, the natural world? Because I don't know. I'm, I, I'm, this is an American viewpoint, but I've always been told it's like abiotic there. So like, I'm always uh, interested in to see how people get stoked on No, it's, I, well, the suburbs of London are, are pr- really very green. I mean, even, even central London has quite a lot of trees. I've been to New York once, and it's a lot more concrete than London in general, apart from Central Park, but. But yeah, London is pretty green, so I've always had a lot of trees around, and both my grandparents, sets of grandparents, were both really interested in gardening and plants. My parents, not so much, but they still appreciate the natural world. But yeah, we we always, me and my brother, were always like going to the park and and being outside a lot when we were really when we were young. So I've sort of been brought up with going going to the out- outdoors for fun so that's probably where my interest began awesome yeah you said you were doing seed collection are you collecting for ash trees or that's just also part of the project so it's a yeah it's a, it's a mixed project it's the uk tree seed collecting project so it yeah we're collecting all uk well, as many UK tree species as we can, but it's trees. It's more like woody flora, so trees, shrubs, uh, climbers, 
I think our target list is about 50 species. Um, and then the ash work is, is running alongside that. So we are collecting seeds from ash trees that we are kind of hoping are dieback, ash dieback tolerant. Um, so we're, yeah, we're going around the country and assessing trees for like how, how well they're doing against the disease and then scoring them and then hoping that we come back later and they have seed on them. What is going on with the ash and the dieback? It's quite sad. <laughs> generally, generally not not great. I don't think they found there hasn't really been any fully fully resistant trees documented. Basically, every tree is susceptible in some to some degree, but it's just trying to find trees that are holding on longer and and less susceptible. So we're calling them more like tolerant or having some levels of tolerance. Um, and what there is, there's, there has been a lot of genes that have been identified that that are contributing to that tolerance. So we are just trying to find trees that maybe have some of those genes or some new genes. Um, we're, we're getting quite a lot of our trees that we identify, get, we're getting them sequenced. Um, and then with the hope that later somebody, one, some, one of the researchers at Kew as an ash specialist, will be able to kind of go through that data and see if there are any new tolerance genes in the UK or maybe just the trees that we have already have some of those tolerance genes they've already identified. Do you know when it yeah. showed up and started getting really bad? Uh, it's, it's not been that long. So like within the last like 20 years or so in, in the UK um, and then within the last sort of 10 years, it's been getting worse and worse um, but it, it came into the country from the south, so the south part of the country is probably worst affected. Um, but it is now everywhere. It is now even in quite remote places across the country. But it, it seems so variable in the way that it it attacks. So it, some populations that we visited have been really, really decimated, um, and then others haven't been quite so bad. So yeah. I think it, it's quite a lot down to environmental conditions as well because the the way that the fungus kind of proliferates is from the ground up um, and it, it overwinters on on the like the leaf central rachis um, and then will spore from the ground um, but it, it, it needs quite sort of damp conditions in the autumn and well, quite damp conditions overall to take hold and spore really well. So if we have years when there's been drought, like last year, there was there was a lot of drought later in the year and through the whole summer, that most people were kind of feeding back to us that the ash weren't they were they were coping better with the infection and surviving better. But yeah, this this year has been wetter, so we'll, we'll see we'll see the result of that because. They won't start showing dieback until kind of now onwards. So we're we're starting our our dieback surveying trips now um, to try and find how badly trees are being affected. And yeah, we we should be able to see see how badly they're affected now. Yeah, is it a Phytophthora species? No, no, it is. Uh, I can't remember the the species, but yeah, it's a uh, it's not. It's um like a airborne. 
not a soil fungus. It's a. It was. I think it, oh, okay. it started out as like a a leaf, a sort of a leaf um, digesting fungus. Mm. So it just and then trees. and then well now it's now it's turned into a pathogenic fungus. Um, Jesus. <laughs> But yeah, it, I think it's pathogenic where it originates in. I think it's from Asia or that that area of the world, and and it, it's just able to infect our, our like European native species because it's not it's not evolved with it, not co-evolved with it, so it has no tolerance. Well, less tolerance. <laughs> yeah, and it reminds me so much of like American chestnuts, or in the West Coast we have tan oak. Nothalithocarpus densiflorus, and I almost said it without stuttering. I'll get it one day, um, but it's the same deal. It's this this sudden oak death showed up in the '90s in like Santa Cruz area in California is like ground zero for it with another county in Oregon, I think. And yeah. I mean, there's still tons of tan oak. Like I'm looking up my window right now, and there's like big trees. But same deal. Like it loves cold, shitty weather, and. There was kind of rumors that with how the fog is starting to kind of be less present in some years around here that it's kind of halted. But then we got a super wet year and now I just have like this whole little stands of saplings <laughs> that have just turned brown all of a sudden. And like I have these two big ones above my house that every day I just like look and make sure that it's not dying back because yeah, yeah. I'll have more sunlight, which would be kind of nice. But I will be screwed if all of a sudden the trees around me died. Yeah, no, it's 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 really changing the landscape here because pretty much because because i use i use kind of community collected data from our botanical society of britain and ireland and bsbi when i make decisions about where we're going to be collecting or looking and ash is really quite a uniform distribution across the uk or it has been recorded that way so it, it is it was and is everywhere and it seeds like crazy so you get you get loads and loads of recruitment everywhere but now there are some woodlands that used to be dominated by it and now it's just kind of it kind of some of the woods we've been to have just been like mordor the way that you walk you walk in and it's just loads and loads of dead skeletons of trees and all that's left is kind of the understory so it's big big landscape change across across most of the country yeah i know that stinks that i mean it's like that's the trade-off like you have cool field work we get to go hunt down trees but then it's also you're basically just like measuring mortality yeah but Where, there is hope there is give me yeah, some we, we've we found about so far well me my colleague's been doing this a year longer than me um and he he did a whole year just looking at ash only without doing any other collecting um and i think we've got 50 to 100 tolerant trees that we found and they made quite a few seed collections. Obviously, the seed is not going to be... They're collecting seed from these tolerant trees. The seed is not going to be 100% tolerant, but it will have inherited 50% of the genes from its mother. So they're not intending to use the seed to just replant straight away, but they'll use the seed maybe as like rootstock to graft on like very good tolerant material. Because if you graft onto not completely not tolerant material, then the fungus can just enter through the through the stem lower down, below the graft union, um, and it just it will just kill the root, even if the top top graft is is tolerant. Yeah, 
Are there any plans? I don't know. I'm just uh, my only like uh, kind of lateral thinking with that is the American chestnut where they're, they've bred it with the Chinese chestnut to the point where it has, I think it's like 86% American genes. And then the other 14% is the, the Chinese chestnut. And so it's like, I don't know, there's a whole debate on what is good enough to be introduced again but they have the tolerance now and they're trying they're starting to like do like forest trials to like bring it back because it was this keystone species like is there any yeah. kind of breeding programs are you guys going to keep it all oh yeah so there's there's been because because we have like quite a good tradition of forestry using british native tree species there are people set up like a seed orchard where they collect seed from all of the different regions of the uk and then grow them all in one field to make an orchard of kind of local provenance seed from across the country so there are a few of them um and they have they they've been very useful where people have kind of gone there and scored a, a wide selection of different provenance trees um and then there's there's thought that they can breed breed those using that sort of system of seed orchard um but there hasn't been i I think that well they probably are working on on crossing them with different species i know when i was working at kew they have quite a good collection of fraxinus and there are a lot of species that weren't as susceptible in the collections and it was mostly just the fraxinus excelsior the european ash that was having to be felled because it was being so badly affected but yeah I, I think there's there's trying they're trying to sort of aim to keep local more local provenance in the uk um but yeah if, if that's not going to work then they're going to have to do some outbreeding programs yeah i know it's like it's gonna get weird but i, I don't know i always feel like it's gonna get better eventually someday like if we're still around, we'll figure out how to make it work. It's just like, man, being born right at the beginning of the, the weird times is always kind of like not a bummer. Cause I don't know what's going to happen in the future. And it like kind of lights a fire under my ass to help out. But I'm just, that's my whole thing. It's just like, I cannot be pessimistic. Cause then what am I doing anything for? You know? Yeah. No, I mean, we, cause we've, before I started working in trees, there's, there's been like Dutch elm disease, which has taken out, pretty much most of the elms in the uk so i mean i i feel like i didn't really even know what an elm tree looked like properly until i started looking specifically for them they are still here and there are quite a lot of large ones left in specific places but overall that is not the percentage of the canopy that used to be and and their gap has been filled quite quickly because that that was a species that was never dominant in in like woodlands but ash has been taken up large amounts of specific areas of woodland across the uk so you you do get these great big blocks where all the ash is dead and then you just lost all of the canopy yeah (laughs) have to start again with some other species coming in are you guys having bad invasives fill it in or is it just kind of a weird secessionary thing um not not generally i mean the, they were thinking that maybe sycamore um could take over um so that's like acer uh, pseudoplatinus the 
European. That's an Acer? Um, yeah, Sycamore. The, oh, it's... Like, okay. What we call Sycamore is an Acer. <laughs> oh, weird. Okay. Um, huh. And that's not native, but it's been planted in this country since like the Roman period. Yeah. So that, and the bark of that is similar enough to Fraxinus that the bark hosts quite a few similar lichen species. And they also occupy a kind of similar niche uh, and they have quite a similar growth rate. Um, so they were thinking that might be a good, a good sort of alternative succession succession species to take over from ash it's not native um but so it's it's not going to solve all of the problems but kind it might be part of the solution yeah. so you're interested in keeping the lichens going until more enlightened time well that's I mean, just everything part of, but yeah part I, just, of it, I never hear yeah. lichens in terms of conservation so that's interesting no it's quite lichens quite important in the uk i mean there's there's areas that are designated protected purely because of their lichens, yeah, and fungi and and um, mosses and other other non obvious plants. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Do you know what kind of lichen? Like, is it Lobaria? I know that's kind of having a tough go. No, I don't know. I don't know what what the actual species are, but they. I mean, so much lichen has been lost in the UK because of like nitrification and too much nutrients um but i know i know for example at kew there was there was a, a drive in london for there to be like less emissions um so they brought in like a congestion charge a while ago and since that was brought in the amount of lichen species in the garden at kew have like massively increased since pre pre-congestion charge yeah so that's just limiting the amount of cars that are in london has improved the air sufficiently that all the lichens have come back that's awesome. so yeah um so how did you get started at q did you start with the alpine gardens yeah so i did when i was doing my master's well, to be honest, I've always loved Kew and I've always been to Kew a lot because I grew up in London and my grandparents always had membership. So I knew I knew very much what Kew was and what it was about. Um, yeah, then when I did my master's there, I just sort of loved it so much. Then after I was sort of winding down, I was doing my um, dissertation on Saxifraga, the genus Saxifraga, um, which is an mostly alpine genus. So I was working with the Alpine horticulturist team at Kew and also at Cambridge Botanic Garden. Um, and I was collecting leaf samples um, to to measure them, really. I was doing like a morphological analysis of their leaves. And then as that was winding down, then I was kind of like, oh, I really want to work in horticulture. <laughs> I really want to be more practical with these plants. They're really, really cool. Um, and then a position came up in the Alpine team. Um, and yeah, I just jumped on it. It was great. But yeah, no, no previous horticultural training before that. Only, only an experience where I'd worked in the Chelsea Physic Garden. So, but other than that, it's entirely, I've got an entirely kind of ecological biological background in training 
and your love of alpine ecosystems has brought you a bunch of places right yeah yeah quite quite a lot of places across europe yeah um so yeah we we did a trip well i've done a few trips that are for like bulbs because i mean in the uk when you have like alpine garden enthusiasts they they often will group non-alpine true alpines in to true alpines so when when you see like the alpine garden society in the uk that is basically any plant that can grow in a rockery a rock garden a pot and (laughs) and or is a bulb so it it just encompasses like a very large range of plants and really the, the alpine department at kew was also is also that so it's mostly a bulb department um, so yeah, I, I guess I have quite an interest in bulbs that are not alpines as well. <laughs> yeah, so we did probably the first trip we did was to north northwest corner of Spain um, to Galicia to look at the dwarf Narcissus species. Um, that was in the spring. Um, that was really really good. Um, I knew, I knew you were quite interested in that as well. <laughs> yeah, I think I remember like you posting something about it. I don't know. There was like a picture of a little narcissist by a stream bank. And I was just like, oh, okay, this is my personality now. Like, because, like, you know, they're just like the Easter supermarket plant back here. So I was just like, wait, in like the diversity, there's so many, I don't know, Mediterranean bulbs kick ass. And that's what kind of set it off that there's other Mediterranean bulbs than the ones immediately in California. Yeah. No, I mean, only I was I was like super surprised because the the climate of northwest well, the whole of northern Spain is is very much kind of wet, cooler, temperate. It's not it's not that Mediterranean. Um, it's very similar to the UK in in the way in the climate, and it means that the bulbs that grow there grow quite well in the UK generally as well. Um, and I mean, we have one supposed native debated native narcissus species in the uk um but yeah in northern spain well the spain is kind of the epicenter of diversity for narcissus the genus um and there's just so many different shapes and colors and mostly quite small species so they're yeah they're just really nice to find but yeah generally it's it's as is as is quite a lot of the mediterranean is is quite um habitat is is not that well preserved there's quite large areas that are now eucalyptus plantation um and that's mostly just for kind of wood pulp so that'll be for like cardboard and toilet paper and because eucalyptus wood is not that good for construction or no they planted thousands of acres of it here in the 1800s and then once they got big enough to harvest they went oh this wood sucks and so now we just have like all these feral groves of eucalyptus it's like well you guys didn't think to ask when you were like importing it like how's this do for construction but yeah same deal yeah and obviously because it it is fire tolerant it it, and it is sort of encourages fire with with all of the leaf drop and the branch drop so it, it just exacerbates the wildfire issues and and it, it because it's wild because it's fire tolerant it's also kind of coppice tolerant so you can take off the top and it re-sprouts and so that they i mean they ha- it's good for as a crop because you can reharvest it but it does kind of deplete in quality after kind of the third cut and you get smaller and smaller less 
strong growth but then it does seed everywhere as well so we were noticing that it was kind of seeding a lot um and that is taking up all the habitat of these kind of narcissus so we had to drive really quite far in between different populations to find the narcissus and they were always normally always on rocky areas that were too rocky or too steep to plant or they were on river banks that they're not going to plant trees like in a river or like a few meters away from a river so that's where all the narcissus were growing and there's still large populations of them and just given a little bit of a little bit of help then within kind of like 10 years then they can regenerate quite well from quite a f- small amount of plants they grow quite easily from seed they just take a few years to flower from seed but yeah so but there is there is a lot of conservation effort and there's a lot of awareness in Spain about about this and about the not like the importance and the diversity of narcissus um and yeah i mean in comparison to to the uk there is still so much wild space left in spain and in all of europe i think the uk is the worst like the most nature depleted and most kind of deforested area of europe mm-hmm. um I'm low-key kind of obsessed with, like, Irish and British reforestation because it could be a temperate uh, rainforest again. Like, it blows my mind. I get that's why it's such good farmland. But isn't there, I don't know, there's some initiatives to reforest with native broadleaves, right? I know there's a big push for, like, conifer plantations to just churn out lumber, but I don't know. The more I look, the more I'm like, yeah, they're trying this here, they're trying that there. Like, do you know much about that? there's quite there's a lot of mixed mixed approaches there's a lot of kind of backlash to to all of the approaches but i know that i yeah i know that there's still there is still mass conifer planting going on because it's 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 seen as really quick way to carbon offset so there is still kind of government like initiative to plant conifers because it immediately offsets carbon but that's kind of a short-sighted view of it there is also a lot of replanting to like rewild that's quite a big quite hot word um rewilding so there is a lot of people who are extremely pro that and yeah it's it is it is a very good approach but it does need to be done kind of really carefully and really selectively you can't just kind of expect it to go back exactly how it was pre-human intervention Um, and there is increasingly more awareness of of making sure that you're using like local provenance seed and sometimes there isn't enough available to rewild an area entirely with local provenance seed so there has been mass plantings of like european provenance they're the same species as the uk but they're a different provenance so they they may grow differently or outcompete our native mm-hmm. provenance individuals so yeah it's quite it is quite variable um i think the main one of the main driving things that is in is pro towards rewilding is this sort of this ability for uh, particularly rewilding uplands is for it to to retain water and to prevent flooding because that is quite an issue that we have sometimes there's been quite a lot of flooding um but 
there's another approach that they've been using quite a lot is is um introduction of beavers as well yeah <laughs> yeah so even in even the, the park sort of quite near to where i live in north london they've they've got a large fenced area um and there's a there's a stream running through that is like one of the tributaries for the thames and they are they've introduced beavers to to basically fell fell trees in a controlled way and block the stream so yeah. it floods localized flooding preventing kind of inundation of of the the lower further down rivers and tributaries i know that's a big thing in the west is you know they were hunted to basically extirpation levels because they made really good hats but they're, they're bringing them <laughs> back they kind of expand slowly on their own too but like in the meantime, I know there's a lot of work on river restoration where they're building like beaver dam analogous structures. So I'm like, it seems like a lot of work. Like you could just export that to some animals that are supposed to be here anyways. But yeah, it's crazy how quickly like that can solve so many problems. <laughs> like, oh yeah, just build a beaver dam and it fixes the river almost always. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, my cat is screaming at the door. I got to let him in. This is going to be fun <laughs> to edit. <laughs> Sorry. Super professional. Come here, buddy. <laughs> um, well, that is fantastic to hear. Like, I just, I'm so starved for good news stories nowadays. And so, like, wherever I can find, like, an actual, like, positive, I'm just, that makes my day. So, you've been to northwestern Spain, which, as I understand, it's, like, bears and wolves and wolverines and, like, oh, like un, not untouched, but there's still, like, a complete food chain there, which blows my mind to think about. Well, th so that that so the first trip was to northwest Spain, so so that was Galicia, and then this year we went to um, sort of north central or northeastern Spain to the Picos, the Europa mountain range. So it's kind of like its own isolated circle of mountains um, with a big peak in the middle. That's kind of relatively near to the north coast. And and that's that is where they still have wild bears um, and wild wolves, um, yeah, but not that many. Like, it's not it's not kind of like completely intact yeah. environment. Um, and it was still there's still a lot of farms in between and some small villages, and so it's not it's definitely not complete wilderness, but yeah, more in the in the center of the the mountains, it is it's pretty wild. And that was that was amazing. There aren't really any roads that run through the middle, so you have to, if you want to access it from a different angle, you have to drive around the whole mountain range to get in from a different side, or you walk across it. Yeah, you're much of a hiker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we didn't do like major hikes. Um, we had kind of a mixed bag of people with different abilities with us, so we 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 were doing quite a bit of driving in between and we did a few long longer hikes and that was really good but yeah the flora there is just like incredible uh and then you went is it the canary islands no tom tom's been to the oh, canaries i thought you're jumping on that too no 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 tom went to the canaries with his with his partner jess um i would love to go there yeah definitely somewhere i'd love to go it was like such high levels of endemism and aeoniums and succulents and yeah cool stuff and then you're gonna come out here but then covid happened right yeah yeah, yeah so 
I had a, a bursary to, for with the Alpine Garden Society and the Merlin Trust to to come to the to the Rockies and to to Denver and Colorado and yeah I was very excited for that but yeah that got that got pushed back like three two three years in a row and then then they then they said they weren't going to run it um so instead I picked the Peloponnese oh which okay is, Greece yeah so that's Greece yeah so it's like a on the mainland but kind of an island it's 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 actually split from the mainland by the corinth canal um but that is absolutely incredible that was yeah one of the most beautiful places i've ever been yeah talk to me about uh, that i don't know anything about that region besides like from pop culture yeah i mean i hadn't been there i hadn't really heard that much about it but it is it's where like sparta is in the middle um and then, like the ancient civilization of Mycenae, is there, um, and it just has it has like such an incredible history there, and it's kind of tangible when you're when you're going around like the archaeology as, and then the plants are just amazing as well. So, it's it's yeah, it's, it was much kind of cooler than I thought it would be, and the, it gets quite a lot of frost. It's very mountainous, like incredibly mountainous, um, so. The north kind of we started in Athens, uh, and then we crossed over, drove driving westward down across the Corinth Canal, um, and down into the main part of the Peloponnese. And there's it's kind of three fingered peninsula at the at the south, and we went onto two of the peninsulas. And as you go more south, it becomes way more like frost free Mediterranean. So it, the the sweets of plants kind of change so much and it, it, it there are areas where it's really really kind of mediterranean scrub um, and then areas where it feels much more like temperate northern european with with like plain plane tree platinus orientalis woodland with they have like such large deciduous leaves it feels really not mediterranean but it, it yeah it's really cool and and yeah i mean in that platinus woodland there was autumn flowering um uh galanthus regine olge which is really cool to see in the wild but then elsewhere we it was it was primarily a sort of bulb tour autumn bulb tour it was in november um but yeah it was just so much to see so many crocus and colchicum um and cyclamen mostly a lot of cyclamen <laughs> i like cyclamen that gets a bad rap but i like that one a lot I mean, the the species of cyclamen are just so much better than what you can buy. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, they they primarily sell like the the sort of garden center cyclamen here in all of the shops, and they they are a bit a bit garish and a bit naff. But wild cyclamen are just completely different. They're so much more like subtle and smaller flowers and beautiful leaves and. That's yeah, awesome. it's incredible. What else did you see out there? Um, what was your well, favorite thing? Of... Like, what was that moment you're like, holy shit? Um, I don't know. There was so there was so much. Um, possibly, possibly that it was the autumn galanthus, just because I've like never seen kind of a true wild galanthus in the wild mm-hmm. snowdrop, and it was just like 
yeah amazing and and the setting was amazing as well but yes it's just seeing all of the plants that I'd, I'd grown in cultivation on the rock garden and in the alpine nursery at Kew, like Greek cyclamen graecum, Greek cyclamen, and yeah, crocus and culturecum. And yeah, it was just amazing. Yeah, that's my favorite experience is seeing something in a garden setting for so long and then finding out like its habitat in C2. You're like, oh my God, you're a real thing that like you live here. <laughs> you know, you're not just a planting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's really special. That sounds super cool. And that's the Alpine Garden Society who did all that through? Yes, yeah, that was that was like a, a trip that they run. Um yeah, they, they run quite a few different trips and tours. Um but yeah, it was it was like a funded position that I got on one of their tours. Awesome. Does Q what all right, so Q has a large conservation program, right? Yeah. Do they have like some super top secret like oh we have the last cycad of this species that nobody knows about like what's the what's the backroom stuff? Um, I mean they pub they they publicize quite well. No, I their... know they got some kind of weird flower from the moon back there. There's something going on. <laughs> Did Tom not already tell you this? No, no. He's supposed to be records manager and know where all the plants are. <laughs> no, we were going to record yesterday and he got stuck in traffic. <laughs> uh, well, he might be able to tell you that better than I can. But, I mean, they've got, they they have well publicized the, the rare plants that they have. So, I mean, they've got quite good water lilies. Yeah. There's like Nymphaea thamarum, which is the tiny, tiny Nymphaea species. I think it's from Rwanda. Just And it just grew, well, it, it was in the wild and i think it's now extinct it was just in a few a few really small lakes and puddles um and that's now i think it's now extinct in the wild um so there's yeah there's quite a few of those plants at Kew. um there's there that one, new yeah they split they like discovered a new species of water lily yeah out of there yeah the right? new new victoria species um it's discovered so that's that's really cool um and that's yeah, that's just from one specific place wow. as well. But it's much, much larger than the ones that they've had in cultivation. Like the leaf size is so much bigger. I think they're like two or three meters across mm -hmm. leaf size. That's so nice. they're growing them now in in the glass houses. They take up like the whole pond. <laughs> they need a bigger pond. <laughs> they had been growing there for like several decades and everyone just thought it was a different species, right? And then somebody was like, wait, this is actually something going on here in in the wild yeah yeah and i think they identified it maybe to start with from a herbarium specimen you have to oh, read okay. about it online but they it, i think somebody went one of the the guys at q carlos magdalena went to visit populations in the wild um i think it's in chile maybe you have to look it up <laughs> um and yeah saw that there was something different about it then yeah then there's been so much work it was kind of kept kept very under wraps for a long time whilst they were deciding if it was a true species mm. and making sure they had loads of illustrations and loads of data to back it up before they announced it totally last year yeah that was really cool but yeah otherwise they i mean there's loads of there's loads of species that are maybe extinct in the wild or really rare in the wild that are in cultivation at Kew. but i mean the seed millennium seed bank holds probably a lot 
way more species but they're just in seed form yeah they're not they're, but they they hold a lot of extinct in the wild and a lot of a lot of extremely vulnerable endangered critically endangered species uh do you know many like what are some critically endangered species from the uk i know you guys have like a this is not a plant but there's a species of wild cat that's like pretty indistinguishable from a house cat that blew my mind yeah that's the Scot- scottish wild cat yeah that's a hoot but they're they're kind of debating whether or not that is a true species left in the uk because it's crossbred with with domestic cats yeah so it has some, there, there are some cats that are wild in scotland um that are still right still have some genetics from the wild cat origins but they are i think they are mostly all considered kind of hybrids with with that now um but otherwise i mean there's there's like the lady slipper orchid oh okay in the uk cypripedium yeah cypripedium calceolus which is quite common in europe (laughs) in the in the european alps but there's there was i think there was only one plant that was considered kind of native Mm -hmm. Um, and there was big conservation effort from people at Kew and local conservation groups, and they propagated it like a lot from from seed, and they have replanted quite a lot back into the to the UK. And that's taking Under secret secret oh, positions. Yeah. yeah, lock and key. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's doing well. That's good. Yeah, there is a similar thing here where. The original flora of Santa Cruz County from like the 50s or 60s, which is still in print, which is wild because it's super outdated, but it's got a good bunch of good info. There is Cypripedium montanum and then Cypripedium fasciculatum, the really small flowered head one. Um, and it was known from like an individual of each, like in this one little mountain grove and then hasn't been seen since basically it was written about. So, like, every time I'm up in the area it was known from, I'm, like, kind of half-hoping I'll find a leaf or something. I mean, it's common throughout. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not yeah, debatable common, but it was just, like, the southernmost extent of their both of their ranges here. And so it's just, like, yeah, it's probably just moving on anyways. But that was that was super cool to hear about, that there's a non-zero chance that there still might be one clinging on to some rock wall out there or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, so I said I'm I'm the tree seed collector, for uk trees there is also a, a threatened flora uk project okay so they they are specifically collecting seed of all uk threatened flora yeah to bank bank in the seed bank um so yeah that's that's coming to a close this autumn so they have successfully collected most of the uk threatened flora um and not just kind of one collection of each species but from most of the individual populations that those species occur across their range so it's been very successful and there's been a lot of like immediate reintroduction work and collaboration with different charities and conservation groups in the uk to to reintroduce some of those immediately and to to like build up stock before replanting using the seed that's collected by our team Mm -hmm. That's good. So, so yeah. it's not just like seed banking for the, in case of emergency, like there's actual conservation plantings happening, like reintroduction. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mo I'd say mostly it's research that's going on with our collections. So they're often like grown out and used for genetic research. A lot of like population genetics are done. Um, but yeah, definitely for conservation as well. There's been a lot of grow out for replanting. Awesome. Do you have a favorite species in the UK? Like what do you go see every year? You can't help. Oh, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know. I obviously there aren't that many true alpines in the UK. Um, but there's, there's a few Saxifraga species that are native that are kind of like Arctic alpine remnants that are just only left in like the highest peaks of, of North Wales and uh, in, in like central England and then in Scotland as well. So there's like Saxifraga azoides and, and Macranthi stellaris, um, uh, Saxifraga oppositifolia, and they're just all really cool actual alpines or like Arctic plants that just shouldn't shouldn't survive in our climate. But because they were here, like when the glaciers were here, <laughs> they they've just clung on to the highest bits of land that they've got left. So that's really cool to yeah. see them is is really special. Is do you know if their habitats are pretty similar to where you'd find them otherwise, or is it like weird kind of novel relictual spots that like like I know in the kind of central eastern part of the U.S. there's cave openings that are they have such cold air that they have kind of relictual cold weather species in you know the middle of a southern humid forest. Like, is it kind of like oh yeah, it's a heath and this is a heath plant and that's where it is, or an alpine, you know? Well, I think they they are at lower altitudes than they are in the rest of the okay. world or well, in the rest of Europe at least because we don't have such high mountains in in the UK but it's kind of like a microcosm of of European mountains in a way so you, you get you get the kind of different levels of alpine subalpine um woodland in a similar way and i think that a lot of it is is just kind of like relictual over because they were left over from from when it was cold but they they are also kind of in the same habitats so it's it's kind of a mixture of both really mm -hmm. but yeah there are some oddities where it's like that shouldn't be there but it still is yeah and then there are others that are like oh maybe this is the right habitat and it's still there <laughs> i love that that's my favorite stuff to see like when something is out of its range but still has found a suitable place to live yeah well cool man thanks so much for coming on talking to me that's all right do you yeah. have anything you want people to know about anything you want to like plug not particularly no no, no. <laughs> what is it bsbi yeah bsbi is good that's the british botanical society of britain and ireland yeah botanical society of britain and ireland so people can feed in data to that um if you're a member so you can kind of observe stuff. It's kind of like iNaturalist, but yeah, for British flora. Yeah, I meant and to I ask. Do you use a lot of iNaturalist for your kind of locations? The data is not that good in the UK, specifically not for like UK tree species because they're so common. Mm -hmm. People are like, oh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make an observation. Yeah, it's Whereas, like of course everyone knows it's here. Why even bother? Yeah, yeah. They only so it's good for rare stuff. Mostly, it's good for like insects and um, 
other other species in the UK, but plants is not so good. But BSBI is good because that's just kind of a network of people that have been obsessed since Victorian period. Of, <laughs> of, so they have like really good historic data okay. as well, where people just reobserve stuff in the same place. Awesome. Yeah, no, it's good. Cool, dude. Thanks again. 